When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everyone welcome back it is jay scott and it is the hook rocks the ultimate rock community podcast thanks again for tuning in we always do appreciate it don't forget to write us a review when you're done listening we are also part of pantheon podcast the great network of music related podcasts and the official podcast for metallica you can find them at pantheonpodcast.com as well as on twitter instagram and facebook at pantheon pods and you can do the same with the hook rocks and all three of those platforms plus threads and also, don't forget to set your app to automatic download wherever you do podcasts so you get the latest episodes right to your phone. We've had some awesome episodes to start the year. We've had The Gems. We've had Tuck Smith. We've had Joe Satriani, Jeff Pilson, bassist of Foreigner, formerly a Dokken. And we also had recently Heezer, the great uh, Stoner Rock Band from Finland. They're a great band that I do enjoy listening to. And we've got another great episode for you today, another band that I've been following here for a few years. And when I first started this podcast, I want to really spotlight new bands. And this is one of the bands, like there's about about a dozen of them that really connected with me. And I really wanted to start this. And here we are almost five years later doing this and talking with new bands a lot on this show. And that is Kimmy Shelter from the band Starbenders. What's happening, Kimmy? How are you? Hey, how's it going? Good, I'm good. Did good. You hear- well i I appreciate you doing this thank you very much and uh we're going to get into a lot of stuff about you guys and in your career but we always ask the same first question every time we have a first time guest and that is just like every great rock song has a hook that pulls you in every rock fan has a moment whether it's a song a band an album or performance that hooked them on rock and roll what was it for you uh, Van Halen self-titled. The first one that was we just celebrated their anniversary like a week ago. Yeah, yeah, I I freaked out when I came across that, <laughs> so it ruined my life. <laughs> no, no, really, it made my life amazing. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. What was it about it that like just flicked the switch for you? I just think they were just so lethal, especially in that era, and um just everything was firing on all cinders, especially for that record. And so I, as a budding guitar player, it instantly appealed to me. 
And um, then the songs were also extremely catchy too. <laughs> yeah, that was the big thing about them. I, I remember hearing it for the first time. I've told the story a lot on, on different episodes here that my older brother was borrowing it from a friend and he had it in his bedroom. And I was like seven, eight years old at the time. And I was home. I got home from kindergarten, I think it was. And I, everybody was talking about Van Halen. And I'm like, I had to hear it. So my mom was cleaning the house and she had a Barry Manilow record on the turntable. And I knew instinctively to get headphones because I'm like, my mom probably won't want me to be listening to this. So I put the headphones on, put the album on, and I was just taken. I mean, that was, you know, that was it. And then hearing Eruption, which sounded like something from outer space. I didn't know a guitar could sound like that. It was just tremendous. And you mentioned how catchy it was, you know, the, the background vocals, the, the, the hooks on it and everything. It was just, like I said, I've always said this, the game changed that day and it never was the same. Yeah. It really set the, set the bar for at least the next, you know, two decades really probably still has set, has set the bar, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I actually lifted it from one of my friend's parents' vinyl collection. I, I just liked the way the cover looked. Um, I didn't have much context at that time. I was just starting to really get into vinyl and um, yeah, and just loved it. <laughs> Do you think that if you never heard it, would you be playing guitar today? No, cause I was already playing guitar. So like, that's the whole reason I started going and exploring classic rock and early metal and, and all of that kind of stuff. My first guitar teacher was an, a, uh, a metal head. And so he started introducing me to a whole different type of music. Cause at that time um, I was pretty much just listening to like hardcore and, and punk and stuff like that. And it's still a lot of pop too, but um, I, I hadn't really gotten into um, like really explored the older music yet because I can't, I, you know, I came up in a different generation. So I had to kind of like go, you have to go back and have the willingness to go back and explore some of that stuff. And it was really beautiful moments of discovery. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I, and I discovered a lot of the music through um, going through friends, parents, um, vinyl collection, I would give them $5 and they would give me access to their parents' vinyl and I would take whatever I wanted. Cause at that time there wasn't a vinyl, which now, you know, I'm sure those people were probably like, what the fuck? Um, but you know, I ended up like putting together a really incredible record collection. Um, just by, <laughs> just by, and then it was funny because I would, I would actually give also friends like a list I'd be like, do your parents have vinyl? And they'd say, yeah. And I'd be like, I'll give them a list of artists that I wanted more records from and, and, you know, and then give them five, 10 bucks and they would, they would, they would cart it back to me. And I, uh, I never got busted or called out for it, but maybe now, um, maybe now if, uh, somebody's watching this, that's a parent of somebody I grew up with and they're wondering where their Led Zeppelin two went, I probably have it. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. What about his Eddie's playing influenced you? I mean, he's obviously a great lead and his tone set the standard for decades to come, as we talked about. But he was also a great rhythm guitar player, too. And he had incredible timing. Well, because I grew up, my first instrument was violin. I was instantly drawn to players that were neoclassical. Um, like I loved Ingve and Richie Blackmore and... um and Eddie. And so when I first heard him, he was, you could kind of tell, even though it was decades, you know, prior to when I was listening to it, you still knew that it was groundbreaking and inventive. And, um, you know, and I think that there's just with guitar, there's just these players that have set these, these benchmarks and these milestones and just everybody kind of, you know, tries to live up to them, whether it be like Randy Rhodes or Jimmy Page or, um, you know, Avian Halen. So I just think that it's just, he was, a, you know, a monolith. So I, I loved it. And then it's like I said, and then the hooks, <laughs> the hooks got me for life. <laughs> So, and then Van Halen was actually one of the first big concerts I ever saw when they um, reunited with DLR. And um, I was given tickets for a birthday present to see them down in Jacksonville. 
Um, so I was, that was like the first like show I really went to was, was a, uh, you know, <laughs> that <laughs> we were up in the nosebleeds, but it was still really, really great. Hey, you know, I mean, no matter where the seats are, you got to experience that. I mean, yeah, I, I had seen Van Halen, but with Sammy a few times and I never saw him with DLR until that tour when they reunited. And that was just absolutely incredible to, to experience that. Mm-hmm. Um, what other guitar players? Cause your music, Starbender's music really takes from a lot. Like you said, I mean, there's a, like a punk influence, pop influence, a rock influence. It's very catchy. It's got a lot of hooks. What other mm-hmm. influences did you pull from? Um, I love Johnny Thunders uh, just cause he was so messy compared to everybody else, but still so, it was just free and fucked up and, and um, kind of balanced out some of the like tightrope walking that the other guys were doing to kind of like, let you know that um, like the spectrum of what rock and roll is can kind of lie at any point, so long as it's authentic and genuine and the spirit is there. And so I really loved Johnny thunders and um, I love Steve Stevens. I think he's like, not talked about enough in terms of innovative players. Um, I love Tom Kiefer as a guitar player. Cause he's also a front man. So it was like really cool for me. Cause like, I always like look for um, people who are front men, but also like ripping solos and stuff like that. Like Prince and uh, Prince is an incredible guitar player. Just yeah, it's like I love all these all these players. <laughs> you know, you mentioned you know Tom Kiefer, obviously he's a very underrated guitar player as well. Yeah, and being a front man, and you, you know, what were you looking for with developing your sound? Was there you know when you were growing as a guitar player, was there something that you wanted to sound like, and how did you develop that? Really, um, for me, it was about forming a relationship with a producer and a creative director that I trusted, um, who's Nico Constantine has been with me and developing me and my band as an artist since day one, like, or since day one of this band, um, previous to being in the band, I, um, uh, matriculated at Atlanta Institute of Music. And uh, <laughs> so I was kind of coming from a schooled background and then phased into um, playing in a band and um, kind of had unlearned everything I learned in school. And um, then also started singing, which was a first for me as well. So there was no rules because I wasn't coming in with like fabric in terms of like who I was supposed to be. And um, it's really interesting because I think like maybe people have it backwards. They feel like they have to learn to become someone else, but really you have to just like learn to become yourself. And that's what my process was, was just like really learning to become Kimmy Shelter and, and, you know, crafting the world of Starbenders with my bandmates and building the lore and the fabric and all that kind of stuff. And, so long as I was surrounded by people whose opinions were constructive and that I valued, we were always able to kind of just like let, let the thing be a very natural, naturally unbridled energy that eventually just found its way into what it was. Um, but yeah, really it was just, it was just, um, picking some someone that I, I was going to listen to. And then you listen to that person. And then, you know, maybe for other people, maybe that changes over the years. Maybe, maybe they, that relationship doesn't serve them anymore, you know, and that's allowed to ebb and flow too. But for me, it's been kind of part of the, um, the incubation that my creativity has been allowed um, is, is that trusting, musical relationship <laughs> you mentioned steve stevens I, I i think back to that album uh that he did with atomic playboys mm-hmm. which is an absolute phenomenal record and kind of lost because i think it was with the timing of that scene fading away it was kind of released towards the tail end of it and it really doesn't get appreciated enough in my opinion because i think it's just an incredible record have you ever heard it yeah and then like 
when I was first kind of like, you know, in my riff learning phase, like where you were kind of like, you just pick, you know, learning riffs from different players and like a lot of Steve Stevens guitar parts, like you realize, like you, you hear it as two guitar parts, but it's just one. Um, and like that kind of shit, just, he's just really cool. And I actually saw him with, um, with Billy Idol, like way back in the day. Um, my sister took me to a show, I think, I think it was at the old masquerade in Atlanta. And, um, I got one of his guitar picks and I was like, yeah, I don't know if I still have it, but (laughs) also I was like a young, on the younger side of my teens. So it was, you know, um, very cool. (laughs) He's got a unique style too. I mean, one thing about him is he does things on guitar. I've never heard anybody else do. Mm-hmm. He also has a, a great melodic sense too. I mean, of course, playing with Billy Idol, whether it's Rebel Yell, Dancing with Myself, you know, White Wedding, you know, because you can know, you know, he can shred, you know, he can play. But mm-hmm. I always feel sometimes too, when a player uses restraint, that is just so much more important than being able to go up and down a fretboard and chill yeah. off. You know what I mean, well, that's swagger. You know, he's got he's got a lot of swagger and like style. Um, and that's, that's like what you can't, like, you can't emulate it. Like, you know, anybody can learn how to play a riff or some of these things, but it's like, can, can you emulate the style? Can you play it with style? Um, and I think those are like always been players that I was like drawn to, you know, like Ace Freely, um, like just so fucking like, like the way they step down on it is just incredible you know it's it's uh that's like what i've always been drawn to more than anything more than more than like um technical ability even though there's a lot of technical technical players that i i really dig but um yeah it's just yeah (laughs) it's the swagger yeah i always get mad when i hear people dismiss ace freely because i mean his vibrato is just you know, in, incredible and, and the way he mm-hmm. phrases and I mean, the solo in shock me is just absolutely incredible. That's so underrated. Oh yeah. I, I'm like, I have a really funny story. So I saw him, um, he came through Atlanta probably about, I don't know. I want to say like seven, maybe seven years ago. And he, he was playing at the, um, this place here called variety playhouse. And, uh, I was with, a couple friends and we were standing outside in the parking lot and an SUV pulled up and uh, like, I guess the driver couldn't figure out um, where the backstage was to bring ACE and he was in the back seat. And, um, and uh, the driver's like, do you guys know where I'm supposed to go to get him inside? Cause he needs to be on stage. And he rolled the window down. He was just sitting in the back seat with his sunglasses on. And um, I really like how he kind of like spoke in the third person too during that show. He'd be like, Ace needs a drink, like things like that. And then like, like before he kicked in the parasite, he's like, ah, parasite, you know, and then just, you know, like I, I, uh, yeah, I was, I think this shit's just so badass. Um, I just really love the way that those players from that era had to like fight for it. You had to really fight for it. Nobody was playing with tracks really or like playback. And so you had to like, there was a lot of like pride in doing the most and um, just like sweating the least. Like you, it was like about like being able to pull off like the triple quadruple back handspring you know, with, with a fucking cigarette hanging out of your mouth with a cherry on it, like two inches long, you know, <laughs> like, I just like, I love, I love that, like, there was like, just this sense of pride of like stepping down on it. And, and like, they didn't feel sorry for themselves about it. They just wanted to be the best. And like, all of the musicians at that time, whether it be bassists, drummers, singers, um, key keyboard players, producers, like, you know, I think it's, it's really incredible. Like I even, it occurred, like it even occurred to me the other day, like, like to think about that, like if you needed, if you were recording a pass or something um, and you needed to like go back and do something, you had to sit there and wait for the tape to rewind, you know, and, and like how much more time everything took. And, and like, you just had to like, 
it was just a different world. And I think those players and everything are just, they're just untouchable for that reason, you know? And I think that's why there's like, that's why they're, they're there. And we're, you know, we're, we've, we're growing upon it. Like modernity happens, you know, technology happens, advancement happens. These things go, you know, it's never been our job to recreate something that's already been created. Like you're just supposed to like build upon it. Like, and, and um, like, I've never been an iconoclast, you know, I'm surrounded by icons. Uh, so it's like, I just, I, I just have always like been, been like understanding of like the differences and like also just like what gets me off and like what made, made me love music so much and still love music and still be like, you know, excited to kind of like geek out about this stuff. So <laughs> Yeah, those players had a certain swagger to them, you know, I mean, and they spoke with their guitar, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, you know, whether they were the Keith Richards, you know, bluesy type, whether Eddie Van Halen and Ace and anyone in between, like you said, like they had a sense of pride with what they did and they went after it and they had the confidence, like, because they they worked at it and they knew how good they were. Yeah. I, I think... I like it when everything fell apart too. Like I like, I like even when that whole model fell apart and grunge happened and the guitar players that then were kind of coming through after that point, like Dave Navarro and all these guitar players, like that were just like, everything had kind of like gone, it had broken down and then was like building back up and, you know, and, and I just think it's the whole evolution is just, is cool, you know, of, of guitar and music and all of that stuff and all, all of it's ripping, you know? And then I think just like different phases in your life, like different things are going to speak to you, you know, like, you know, there's some, there's some times where like, I don't want to listen to like rainbow and Judas priest and which is rare because that's like pretty much most of all that I listen to but sometimes I'll have a Nirvana month or like just listen to Alice in Chains and like you know and, and like all those guitar players and musicians were just like fucking unreal so it was like there's still even when grunge happened and everything fucking changed at the same time it didn't like it it was I don't know. It's that's why I think it's so cool about about music and playing and all that stuff is that like um like in those eras rock and roll had the was given the dignity to evolve and like I think that that's something that's kind of like gone away in the past couple decades is like rock and roll wasn't really given the the dignity of evolution anymore and like you know it's like I mean, we got to let it evolve, you know? So it's, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting that you, you discuss that. Cause I mean, you know, it's one of the things that, you know, Tuck and I talk about a lot. It's like this lack of attention that rock is given. And I used to be offended by it being a rock fan. Like, why isn't rock more popular? Why isn't it mainstream? And then I started to feel like, well, do we really want it to be mainstream? You know, like, because if it's mainstream and everybody loves it, then there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Everybody wants to try to do this with it and make it sound like this. And we look at just pop music and how that has evolved into something that I don't even know what that is anymore. Because there's just, I mean, I mean it's just way too overproduced in my opinion. And I think if rock just continues to be what it is, you know, what's great people will find if it's great music, people will find it. And it's, and there's no, there doesn't seem to be any type of, of, of compromise with it now. Right. I mean, it's just, people are doing their own thing. They don't have the suits at the labels telling them what to do. It, 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 I shouldn't say that they do still do that, but I think the rock artist has a lot more options than maybe they did decades ago. I think, I actually think that the suits are clamping down on rock harder than any genre because it's made the least money in the last few decades. So it's like, I think that rock artists have dealt with like the, the hardest parameters. Um, but I think that that's what, what's really cool about bands like Monoskin and stuff, like proving that it's commercially viable again. And like that there's a market for it and a youth market too, that it's, it's not just, you know, for one demographic, and, and like, we're just going to keep it over there. And, 
and like I think that that's what's cool about about them is that they've they've proved that that people want it and um I just think that there's people that have made decisions like assuming that people don't want it that there's not a market for it so like with the algorithms or like the way that stuff is distributed like um it's just kind of more held back um so but now you're starting to really see stuff start to squeak through and I think that that's that's really cool and um it's encouraging and I'm curious to see how it goes <laughs> yeah i know you said something really important there about the algorithms the algorithms throttle discovery right and and i think because of that people who want to listen to rock music it's hard to find because like you said it's it's kind of clamped down by the suits like because it hasn't quote unquote made any money however when you see these tours of these legacy acts they're making a lot of money yeah. and it just seems like it's kind of near and dear to my heart like they want to just completely dismiss everything that came before 15 years ago. Like the whole industry is based on the legends that we talked about, whether it was Zeppelin, Kiss, Van Halen. It was, it was built on that. That's what those are the bands that made them money. And all these acts that continue to tour ACDC just announced the UK tour. You know, I mean, they're still a viable act, you know, Metallica still tours. It's still a moneymaker. It's just for whatever reason, nobody, nobody looks to the younger bands, which are, I think are equally as talented. It's just people equate what you hear on a regular basis as being good rather than what you do, what you seek out being good. And that's what should be promoted. Yeah. And I think, um, I think like rebuilding a community within rock is really important. Like, I think that's why like hip hop and rap is like, has become so cool and like, has evolved so much because like the community has always like been really strong, especially growing up in Atlanta and like witnessing that stuff. It's, it's really cool. And um, like with rock, it's kind of been one man for himself for a while. Um, and so I think like, it'll be cool to kind of like see community be built again. Um, and these are just things that will, will like, I, you know, everything's on a wheel. So it's like, you know, what, what's up will come down and then back around and everything's on the wheel. And so these things that are in fashion will eventually fall out of fashion and then back again and, and all these kinds of things. And, you know, and and rock and roll is on the wheel too, you know? So it's like, you just got to wait for it to come back around and be ready when it does. And like, that's just like what our whole career has been about. We're like, is the wheel, is it coming? Like, you know, um, so whenever the wheel comes around, you know, which it's like I said, with bands like uh, Monoskin proving commercial viability um, in the rock and roll presentation, I think that um, you just have to kind of be ready, stay ready, and then just be, authentic i think that authenticity no matter what genre you're in is is something that will find its way through um through the noise and i think that also remembering that we're working to cultivate a garden where there's like different species of things not like a soup where everything needs to be blended together and like lose its own voice and its own meaning and all these kind of things. And um, I think that's, what's cool. There is like so much possibility with modern music, like where you've got these young kids making playlists that have Dua Lipa and Doja Cat on the same playlist as Judas Priest or like um, Fleetwood Mac or whatever, like, you're not just buying one record anymore. You can kind of like tailor make all of your listening experiences. And um, I think that's where authenticity still has um, so much power to it. And, and like for us where we're at, it's just about surviving and outlasting and, and um, you just got to like be really good at treading water, you know, (laughs) which is great. Cause I grew up surfing, so I'm fine. You know, like, so, um, I think it's, it's just, that's just like what it is like in music as a, as an artist, like you just have to like, I don't know. I mean, these things are, we could talk about it all day, like, but I think there will be opportunities where 
different bands are kicked the ball, you know, passed the ball. And then the thing is, though, is if you're kind of crying in your soup and feeling sorry for yourself, if somebody kicks you, kicks you the ball and you're not ready, you're going to miss your opportunity. So, like, really, that's what, what it's all about. Like, just, like, have all of the fabric ready to go for, like, when that opportunity or when that ball gets kicked to you, when ACDC or some, one of these guys hit you up or, like, they put you on their tour, like, just being ready for it and, and like, reaching that audience and, like, letting people know that there's still bands out there kind of, like, carrying the flag of, of, um, of rock and roll, of mystery, you know, um, of folklore, uh, all the thing of fantasy. Like, I think that's what's like really beautiful element of the rock and roll that you and I love as well as the fantasy and the theater element of it. And, um, kind of like making rock sexy again, you know? So I think it's, uh, you know, we're happy to kind of <laughs> have our name in the hat. I, I definitely want to get that, get into, get into it with you on that because that's part of Starbenders is that imagery and that folklore with the videos. Uh, but before we do, I, you, you grew up in Atlanta and I know LA gets talked about a lot and Nashville is, you know, music towns and rock towns, but Atlanta has such a great community too. You know, whether it is the Black Crows, Blackberry Smoke, Tuck Smith, Butch Walker slash Marvelous Three, you know, a lot of bands have come out of Atlanta and the surrounding areas. What was that like for you seeing these other artists elevated and getting recognized as you were kind of developing your sound and your craft? Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Well, I was... I did most of my growing up in South Georgia. And so then by the time I was a little older, um, we moved to Atlanta. I was born in Atlanta. Um, but anyways, so I didn't really like have much, like a huge concept of it until I was like really gigging. Um, and then by that point you started to like really wrap your head around what it was because again, kind of being in, in one of the um, earlier 
or would you say a later wave of music that was coming out of Atlanta? Um, a lot of these scenes were kind of long gone by the time we were coming through and, and, um, biters and tuck and, and like coat hangers, they were kind of on the end of their, of that scene. And then things kind of cooled out in Atlanta for a while. Um, but there's still, again, you know, like I said, everything's on the wheel. Um, and I do think that there, there's, it could, it could kind of take off here again, the rock scene. Um, it might be already, it might already be happening, you know, while we're on this podcast. So I think that like, um, there, there has been quite a scene in Atlanta for rap and hip hop. And, and, um, that's, that's cool. You know, we've been, we've been able to kind of like work with some different artists and things like that, which is, which is like a unique opportunity to kind of be adjacent to a different genre. That's, that's the dominant genre in our town. Um, but I really like that, you know, and, um, I think it gives us an edge and, in terms of like the crows and all these guys that that came out, like I heard, I heard that that era of Atlanta was really, really cool. You know, that, that it was kind of the, the last time the wheel was around, you know, really. And um, so, yeah, we just got to wait for the wheel to come back around. <laughs> Getting back to what I said earlier about the imagery with the band, you know, one of the things that drew me in when I first started listening to you guys was the videos, you know, where, where they were different than a lot of other bands that were kind of coming onto this new scene we're doing. I mean, it was, there was a production in it. There was a story in it. And I felt that was a, a recall to eras of the past, which I think was always great. You know, these cool stories within the song and, and was that always part of your image? with Starbenders was creating not only great music, but also images for people to be captivated by and to, and to keep thinking about once they stop watching the video. Yeah. It, beca- it just became like the vision just was, was based in imagery and, and drama and fantasy and all that stuff from the very beginning. And like, we just, I mean, this, this band was unique because it kicked off with us swinging for the fences. Um, and when my band started, the the kind of primary presentation of, of rock or indies at that time was pop punk and <clears throat> all this kind of stuff. And that, you know, so we were, we definitely were, were not like, anywhere close to like what other bands were doing at that time, but especially in Atlanta, but we just, I don't know. It just was part of it. It's just, it was part of the whole concept from the word go. So that's just like, there's always just been this like standard that was a part of the band just as much as the music was. Once like the the image and everything clicked into place, um, it was it was hand in glove in terms of the imagery, you know, and like even with the band name and all that stuff, it's just it was just the imagery was built in into it from the word go. Like you'd you'd feel a little weird if you hit the stage in a baseball hat and a t shirt, like playing for Starbenders, <laughs> you know, like it'd just be like. Mm. Well, I think that that's where the the greatness of the band lies is because it's equal music and art at the same time, you know, because the music is the art, the imagery is the art. It's kind of like this rock punk Andy Warhol kind of vibe to it, you know. It's got a really kind of modern sense, which but it has callbacks to a lot of different influences and and I always love watching the videos because the videos speak just as much as the music does. Yeah. We really dig surreal imagery and, and in terms of videos and stuff, we've just really enjoyed working with artists uh, that have their own deep and rich vision that can be married with what we do. So that's like how we've always looked for people. And one of the, 
early teams that we did videos with Dominar, they've did probably, I think four or five videos for us. And, um, they've ended up phasing into more commercial work. Um, but they, they were a big part of like that, those early visuals and everything that we we built. And, uh, we just really enjoy working with other artists and then passing the ball to them and seeing what our music inspires out of them and never been interested in controlling things all the way down in terms of like, I must be the only genius, you know, <laughs> like we just never like, I, I really love um, specialized knowledge and finding, you know, other people with specialized knowledge. So you talked about going to school for music and you also talked about your joy for music. That sounds a little messy. When you're in a in a school environment, do you find that it's hard to maintain that appreciation for the messy part because you're kind of taught with a technical technical aspect of of music? Well, for me, it was kind of like where I was able to find my grace because I was kind of a a very um, i I had capacity for the tech technical side of things and like the way my brain works, like I've, I love math and numbers and physics and all that kind of stuff. And so I loved the, um, I loved learning the formulas and, and all of the, like every, like all the, the kind of science behind music, but at the same time, like it wasn't like I was this, you know, perfect player that, you know, whatever, like I, I've been, it's interesting because you start to really see why things come together the way they do. And, um, you know, I've always been just a little, (laughs) a little, not quite, not quite there. You know, it's like, it's like this, uh, this borderline of, of like, um, things (laughs) falling apart. So I think that like, that's the way my playing is too. And so like, I loved and appreciated the guys that did things that I couldn't do. Um, And then you had players like Johnny Thunders that like found a way to kind of carry that authentic voice and that like joy and expression of music in a way that like gave players like me grace. Um, And so like, I, that's why I like it because uh you know, I'm a little, I'm a, I'm a bit reckless stylistically with my guitar playing. Um, I come up with very strange unorthodox parts. Uh, and I do the same, it's the same approach with singing. I just kind of see things a little bit differently than other people. Um, and so, yeah, I was like, I like school was like very tough. It was very, very tough because I, it wasn't like I was, um, you know, like it came easy to me. Like I had to fight for it every day, but I like that. Like, I like things like that. Like I've always liked, um, picking things in my life that maybe are just a little beyond where I am. Um, you know, I, I really, I enjoy beginner's mindset and, and, um, kind of fighting, fighting for things. Um, and then forgetting them and and just like letting myself be where I am, you know, that's interesting because I've always, you know, I've talked to players that kind of have a technical background. I still remember this video on YouTube where Paul Gilbert, you know, who used to be with Mr. Big and still is with Mr. Big. And he's a very uh, technical player. He used to instruct at uh, uh, MIT in California, I believe it was. And um, he's talking with George Lynch about music theory. And George is a guy of the made his career off the strip in Hollywood. He's an old school player. He's not technical. He he's incredible. Yeah. He's not, yeah. he's not music theory. And it was just a, it's kind of comedic where Paul's trying to teach him music theory. And like, George is like, no, I don't even want to even know. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I, I don't know. I think it's cool to kind of like, I think it's cool. Like understanding and seeing like that anything's possible. Like you don't, you don't need to be able to read music and like 
know why it is that you're like what you're doing sounds good and all these things. And, um, I, I don't know, like, I think I, I had an interesting advantage because I had a disadvantage, like in terms of like, I didn't fully belong there. So like, I just had to kind of fight for it and like find my own way and then take all of that apart and make, you know, make a rock band that, you know, and so I don't know, I think it's cool. And I think that like, I think that when I'm teaching or like working with, you know, guitar players or whatever now, I, uh, you know, I try to really stress that like in terms of like, just let it come to you whatever way it comes. Like, I think it's like, that's how magic and, and everything happens. Like you gotta like, you gotta let it land on you. Like you gotta, like magic does exist. You have to just let it land on you and then have the awareness to kind of see like where it hit. And then once you're able to identify where it hit you cultivating and growing that, and then possibly seeing if there's like other avenues, like where you can invite more magic into your life. And really that's like all music is. And probably, probably every, every um, career or anything you can go into is the same way. There's talent or skill or even love, you know, like, valentine's day today you know like it's the same thing with relationships like you just have to like allow it to kind of the energy to kind of like hit you and see how it vibes with with your organic material you know (laughs) no i get it you know i I really i like when musicians search for that magic right i mean and not you know limit themselves because as I've said many times, just looking at the instrument of guitar, it's it looks like it has limitations and it's up to the player to unlock their own personal, you know, playing and, and unlock those and unlock those limitations and go beyond that and create that magic. Yeah. Um, take back the night, you know, the album you guys did last year. In the evolution of the band Starbenders, how is this different for you creating, making this record? Um, I think it was uh, more cohesive in terms of like the time window in which the material was written. And, um, we, it was primarily written and pre-proed over the pandemic and everything like that. So a lot of the concept is like, you know, feeling stuck and, you know, entombed and wanting to like be outside of it and move on and like, also quite a bit of like dark night of the soul within the fabric of the record. And then just also really going for it. And um, it's like I said, like I've, I've continued to be able to push the limits with, with my voice. And so every record we've done, I, you know, we go to a new place. And and so um, that's just been something that that record became. And yeah, we just really went for it. And I mean, we, we have always gone for it, but you know, if you approach things the way that my band and I approach things going for it this year is going to look a lot different than going for it last year. That doesn't mean that you didn't go for it the last time you're just always building, um, you know, and so that's just, that's just kind of how it is. And you know, by the time, like, by the time that record came out, like I had my whole, like I had 40, 50 other songs already written, you know? Um, it's like, you don't just stop there. You just keep going. And so like, it's interesting because then people are hearing that, but you've already like evolved. They just haven't heard it yet. You know? So it's like, the thing is just, just keeps kind of going. Is, is that difficult for you to stay in the present when you have an album coming out and have these other 40, 50 songs that excite you. Yeah. Because that's what faith is. Uh, you have to like, you know, understand that you've just planted all these seeds. Um, and then you got to water the seeds and then you got to go back and, you know, see what grew, (laughs) you know, 
<laughs> and although it's very easy to just keep moving and and be like on to the next on to the next but um you know i think that the record was like a great growth point for us and we had a really busy year with touring and everything and that was a beautiful thing after the world being shut down for two years and so that's that's what it was it was like that it was that era of like of you know pandemic coming out of pandemic now we're past it like what the fuck and so now it's like you know all these things but um yeah <laughs> you talked about like the theme of the album do you find that vision before you start creating or does that vision happen as a result of the creating mm, like in terms of an album i've never written a concept record i've never been like all right this is this is it and i'm gonna write it under like things just sort of tend to have the same energy like within the same windows because like if you're writing something, there can be like the, the beginning, the beginning of the thing. And then you write during the middle of it and then you write after it. Uh, so they read like, they read like steps within um, the emotional process or even just the process of life or observation, depending on what the influence of the song is. So then you kind of just go back and then you're like, Oh, there's all of these common factors within this body of work. <laughs> like here's this thing, you know, um, I try to be as, uh, I try to avoid being premeditated as much as possible because that's what allows me to, um, continue to be prolific with my writing and like have high output because, I'm, I try to not avoid putting parameters on myself. Like if you were like, Oh, this concept records called love songs. And then maybe you, maybe one day you wrote a song that is not a love song, you know, then you'd might discount it. And maybe that was your fucking hit. You know what I'm saying? Like, again, this is like letting the magic like land on you. So, and then, and then you can go back and connect the dots. So that's just how it is. <laughs> Does that way that you have in creating, I mean, help you adapt to change? I mean, you know, within the band, the way to create, does that outlook yeah, that you have? My, the, you know, like the label pushes me really hard too. like Ash Evelson and the A&Rs at the label and everything like they, they will push me. And then I've got my team that pushes me like in terms of, maybe push isn't the right word. Maybe it's more like, uh, shaping, uh, tailoring. So, and then, you know, with the band, like with the, with the four of us, uh, you know, it just, you just kind of whittle the thing into what it is. Um, and again, like, that's why I'm grateful that I, I'm not somebody that sort of thinks they need to do it all on their own. Um, I enjoy being collaborative. I'm a Pisces, so I tend to be like water. I like being collaborative and plasticine and being able to kind of like move around things. So that's just been my ethos. What's next for you and the band? Well, we're going on tour with Nita Strauss. I did see uh, that in Diamante too, right? Diamante, both two incredible artists. So that's going to be really fun. We're going out with, um, we're going to have a new drummer with us. And so that's really exciting um, to kind of move into the next chapter in the era of the band. We've got new music coming out and um, just kind of finishing up the little moves and changes on our next single. So that should be coming out pretty soon. Yeah. And then we'll have videos and, and uh, all the things, you know, more shows. It looks like we're going to be doing quite a bit of world touring this next year, like going to other countries and places we haven't been before, all of which will be announced <laughs> to <Toot> sweet. <laughs> I was a little disappointed that, uh, you weren't coming to Chicago, but Milwaukee's only an hour away. Yeah. So. Come on down. <laughs> yeah. No, no. It was like, cause that's a great bill. Cause Nita's great. I've seen her live. 
And I've never seen Diamante. She's been on the show a couple times. And, of course, you guys. So I'm really looking forward to that show. I think you guys are playing at The Rave. Yeah, yeah. I love The Rave. It's so yeah. weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a really uh, – first time I was ever there, I saw oh, – God, this is uh, Rink of Tears. Rink okay. of Tears. And uh, it was just – it was like mid-July day. It was so hot. It was like, you know, there was no AC in that building. Everybody was sweating. But it was a phenomenal show. It was great. I think it added yeah. to the – the symmetry of the crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we played there. We played there like the day before Halloween or something like that. So it was like ultra spooky. Uh, so yeah, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. And then there was the, uh, the black label society experience where you had to go through two metal detectors. <laughs> just like, wait, didn't I just go through one? I'm like, yeah, there's another one. I'm like, okay, all right. This is a great crowd, you know, <laughs> but um last question too you know breaking in a new drummer you know i mean is that something that i mean obviously change happens and things come up without sometimes without notice but you know is that is that something that you worry about in terms of fit or trying to find the right fit we were very meticulous about knowing the exact uh weight of filling Emily's role in the band. We didn't take it lightly. So we literally searched the entire world and that's why we found Shiwei and China and, and she's just incredible. And we're really excited to, to uh, bring her into the band and, and let the thing grow and evolve and, and see what our next, uh, our next phase will be. And we, you know, we purposely picked a player that, that we knew would be able to carry the integrity of the past um, 10 years that this band has been together. So, you know, it's like, it's uh we didn't take it lightly. So, but um, for that reason, no, we're not worried. Um, if, if we didn't put so much love and heart into the choice, then maybe, but we don't do things like that. <laughs> That's not the Starbender's way. It's not the Starbender's way. Well, Kimmy, this was a pleasure, and thank you again for the conversation. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, of course. Hopefully we'll see you very soon. Absolutely. I can't wait to see you guys. I've never seen you guys live. I'm looking forward to it. So um, love the music, love the band, and uh, once again, thank you. Thank you. Everyone, that is Kimmy Shelter from Starbenders. Check out their latest album, Take Back Tonight. It was released I think third or fourth quarter last year. It's a tremendous album. And also check out tour dates on their website. All their links to their social media will be in the show notes. So as you're listening and you're done listening, click on those links and explore the Starbenders world. I am Jay Scott. This has been another episode of The Hook Rocks. Thanks again for tuning in. Take care of each other. Stay safe. And we will talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.